definitely get into Bergheim. Not tonight. You're not on the list. Hello, I'm Conor McLoon and welcome to season two of the You're Not On The List podcast produced weekly for Rewind That Track. On this podcast, we interview, dive deep and take a journey into the lives of those in the music industry. Everything from backstage to onstage, we're here to chat to the people that make up the scene. If this is your first time checking out the podcast, thank you. If you haven't already, can you hit that follow button on Spotify or Apple Music and can you give us a five star rating if you enjoyed the series? My guest this week is a high-energy tech house and techno DJ and producer, it's Sarah Fry. During this episode, we discuss how her parents meeting at a 90s rave led to her passion for house music. They met whilst raving, pretty much. Her thoughts on lineup variety as a DJ. There's still a gender problem in the music scene. And which brands aren't hitting the mark with events. The people who are residents um, of this particular event, he or she doesn't pay them. My guest this week is a high energy tech house and techno DJ and producer from Cornwall. She's played at the likes of Sankey's Ibiza, Motion, Ministry of Sound. She's had releases on the likes of Saved and Marleybone Records. Mixes on the likes of Data Transmission. It's Sarah Fry. Afternoon, Sarah. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm well. Prefacing this, it's at the start of December now. It's where it's miserable outside. There's a storm in the UK, <laughs> um, but it's a Tuesday. Uh, Christmas is on the way. Can't complain. Can't complain. It's coming to the end of uh, what is most likely a terrible year for a lot of people, uh, considering how it started at the start of the year, considering how it's ending. It's sort of ending, obviously, a lot better than it started, which is positive and uh, nice yeah. for everybody. Definitely, definitely. How's it sort of? Uh, how's it been for you as we're sort of coming towards the end of the year? Yeah, I mean, it's had its ups and downs, definitely. Um, you know, kind of questioning, you know, whether I should really stay in this kind of profession or this job or this passion really but um yeah I mean it's had its ups and downs obviously with COVID but the main thing is is that you know it's kind of given me the time to uh, make a lot of music and kind of figure out my sound a little bit more I'd say but yeah it's been very tough obviously because uh I'm now back in the studio, but I uh I did take a good three months out in lockdown and it was difficult so what do you think having that time off um, sort of like does, do you think it, you, when you say like it was difficult, was it difficult because you sort of become a little bit rusty with like production and bits like you're like, oh, I haven't used this program in ages or sort of like finding your feet or was it that you sort of just like lacked where you were said they're unsure about the year? Was it that you sort of like lacked enthusiasm and lacked like, oh, is it worth doing this? Yeah. So mainly, I guess because of the lockdown situation, I kind of, I stayed in Banstead with my brother and he didn't have like a studio space. It was all very cramped actually because he was like I, I would have been on my own in lockdown so um he was like come come stay with me so I actually stayed there for a good three months and I was itching like I took my headphones I took my laptop but I you need a, a studio space so I found that quite difficult it actually made me more itchy to get back into the studio I've actually just graduated um now and with that I created an album um releasing some of the tracks on that album now but yeah I uh yeah I guess it's it's been very difficult just trying to trying to get gigs you know things like that trying to stay in the game some people it's really blown up for some people it hasn't um Mm. and yeah it's just all about staying driven really and reminding yourself why you love doing it yeah 
Absolutely. And one like you were touching there about uh, how you said you've just created an album and, and obviously graduating and stuff as well. Just to go in sort of a chronological order, touching on that you are originally from Cornwall. What were sort of like your earliest experiences like uh, with music in Cornwall? Was that sort of like where you found like a, a passion for music and a passion for DJing and producing? Or was it sort of a, another city or another event that you really found the drive for it? Well, it all kind of started actually with my parents because they met whilst raving pretty much. So they absolutely loved them house music and trance. Trance was a big kind of sound that I was brought up with, especially uh, Tiesto's old stuff. Right. Um, what rave did they meet out of interest and what sort of like, was this sort of like moon dance era? Is that sort of like that early-ish, like late it was, 80s, early 90s? It was 90s? in the 90s. Okay. And I, I was born soon after. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it was, I, I must have been 93 yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. It's definitely in London, though. Okay. But, um, yeah, and then obviously when I grew up, they loved they loved their music. So, obviously, they had kind of parties and stuff. So, I was very much introduced to their music and their love of raving, basically. And um, Is this from a young age? So, are we talking like you're at home and they're like having house parties with their mates around and they've got yeah, trance I'm on and everything like bed, that? Yeah, probably in bed, you know? <laughs> no way. That's, a, I, that's very yeah. unique. I don't think I've spoken to anyone like that. Like most people's parents, when they're listening to music, you don't think of them having like a, yeah, think of them like having house raves as like people would nowadays. Uh, so, yeah. if you were introduced to that from a young age, you, uh, you yeah, obviously yeah, had a good, good early influence on music. Yeah, so I, I mean, I've always been quite... Um, yeah, it was hard to get me to sleep from a young age. <laughs> so I used to um, <laughs> always be quite nosy, like, what's going on? Yeah, so I we moved to Cornwall when I was about eight. And, yeah, I'd, I'd say I didn't really have much to do with the music stuff then. Um, it was more towards college time. Um, there was a lot of guys, my friends, um, who were... My friend Alfie, actually, he... Um, he used to be XY constant. So he actually used to release on selected and everything. But my one of my best friends met him as her boyfriend and all the boys actually DJ'd. They DJ'd like drum and bass, um, like housey stuff, just just very kind of left wing stuff as well. Um and I was like, I really want to get involved in DJing. Yeah, I kept asking people to teach me and felt like a lot of people weren't very helpful. Um so Go I on. decided to buy some decks myself and I actually taught myself how to DJ and so yeah I, I basically went from college so I was about 17 18 hmm. and then I moved to um Cardiff and then that's where I uh really started getting into DJing yeah, um, just to touch on there I want I want first decks that you bought and then sort of the first uh, first program that you were using to DJ okay um so it's Serato yeah um I bought the real, it was like a USB plug-in Newmark. Yeah, Newmark Mixtrack Pro Two. By any that's chance? It. Yeah, yeah, that's the lot. That's the OG one that lots of people start on, and we've had the people OG. on the podcast. That's uh, that is yeah, that's influential and paramount to a lot of people's DJ careers, producing careers, um, cheap yeah. and cheerful. Probably about 160 quid when it when it originally came out. Yeah, like two yeah, tracks. Yeah. Um, yeah. probably weighed about 500 grams, and you could literally chuck it into a bag, throw it around. That was pretty indestructible as well. So it's, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, it was easy, a good, easy. Uh, it was a good, good piece of equipment. After moving to Cardiff, Sarah had more opportunities to hone her DJing ability and get some experience in nightclubs. So you moved to Cardiff, and then, um, and then, what was that sort of more 
accessible or more opportunities for you to start playing out, do you reckon? Like I've been to Cardiff. I know the nightlife's quite like massive and there's quite a few. Well, it's obviously a big city. So there's uh, realistically like a lot of bars, a lot of clubs and stuff to play at. Do you feel like there was more opportunity there than there was down in Cornwall to play out? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, in Cornwall, I kind of started in um, a pub called Five Degrees Below where, you know, it's quite a dark kind of little basement vibe. I moved to Cardiff. Uh, where I met the likes of Lucas Alexander. He was running an event called um, Mi Casa in Cardiff. So I got involved in that. And that's kind of how I met quite a few people who are in the scene now. And I supported Christoph. Was that sort of like the first big event where you thought like, oh, this is sick. Like I've got my name on the fly here. I'm playing out like... Oh, there's some good venues here. Like, is that sort of the first one that sticks in your mind of being like, oh, this is this has got me here? Yeah, massively. I mean, it was really, it kind of drove me to want to do it more and like um, really get involved. And I was involved with the uh, radio in Cardiff, uh, the uni radio. And um, Nice. What was it called? Our first, well, my first show was Saturday Jams. I nice. wouldn't call it that now, but yeah. Um, <laughs> and is that sort of like the first bit of radio presenting experience that you had, like like mixing and talking, or were you just sort of like talking and then playing tracks on it? Yeah, a bit of both. Um, okay. Yeah, it, they kind of um, train you up and teach you how to do it and everything, and that was fun. That was my first bit of radio um, because I originally wanted to be a radio presenter. I mean, I'd still do that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> What made you leave Cardiff then if there was sort of that potential there to um, to DJ and there was that potential to sort of like you were getting your foot on the ladder and stuff like that? What made you leave Cardiff? The, the reason why I left was because um, I had something tragic happen in my life pretty much. So, yeah, it wasn't a good time for me to stay. And I was studying English Lit and I was like, I need to go and study uh, something else or just have a bit of time out. And mm. so I... I just decided a complete new career or new um, learning experience. And I did, well, when I was studying um, at Cardiff, I was doing English Lit. I found it very boring. It wasn't me. I basically um, decided that, yeah, I need to go do something that I love doing. So I changed to music. And with that, yeah, I, I was basically... Um, staying up till 4am in the morning pretty much most nights and learning how to make music um, on software such as Ableton and obviously it's not easy when you first start it's quite daunting yeah and we're talking like yeah. are we going through like YouTube tutorials for that so like what you were saying like we're staying up there like learning it is it like YouTube tutorials and stuff like that like picking up bits and pieces tips and tricks yeah yeah YouTube tutorials um, just any piece of information that I could get so I didn't understand really. I mean, even when I first kind of went into my music degree, um, I could make music, but using all the plugins correctly and knowing what really what saturation did, what compression. And I just learned a lot more through that experience pretty much. Um, uh, they basically got me on board because they said, you know, you can clearly make music, but you need to know everything that's behind, um, well, basically the science stuff behind music as well. Yeah, because I was going to touch on this because I think you're one of the few people that we've had on the podcast who studied electronic music production at university. And you, like you said, you recently graduated from West London doing that. What do you think that the um, the academic route taught you 
um, that you wouldn't know if you hadn't studied it at university. I know it's difficult to like sort of imagine yourself in that situation now because obviously you've gone through the process, but like where you said they're like using plugins and stuff like that as an example, that's something that they taught you of, of what each plugin does and what that's going to do to affect your sound. And just for those people listening that don't know, like a plugin is like a digital version of a, an effect that you can include in a program such as like Fruity Loop Studio or Ableton or stuff like that. So it might be saturation, it might be like a, a, a chain of things that could be on there. What else do you think that sort of going down the academic route taught you? that um, you wouldn't know otherwise. It taught me a lot about how to um, sound, well, basically start, create sounds from scratch, um, sound design, also, you know, structuring music properly, but also not being too, um, not copying everyone else, going out of your comfort zone and just going with your own sound. Oh yeah, and also kind of learning all the analog equipment that they had. Because obviously, I mean, you, you could go into a studio and be fresh on Ableton and you wouldn't know yeah. how to use all the analog equipment, but yeah. they kind of teach so you we're how talking to like synthesizers and stuff. Yeah. Like where you're actually having yeah. to physically use a uh, plug in like a chain of something. So you plug this into that, this into that, this into that, and then like having compression and like having yeah. the actual physical things on there rather than like the VST and the plug in versions and stuff. That's right. Yeah. So um I learned that. And obviously with with using all that analog equipment, um they taught you how to do live performance. Um, so yeah, that's really useful. I mean, it's, it's just, it's all very expensive equipment. Um, and if you have access to studios, um, you can definitely, you can get your hands on all that equipment. It's worth doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like you said, it just gives you experience around the whole music industry then, not just like digital production. As Sarah had started to produce more techno as we came out of the 2021 lockdown, I wanted to find out if she ever been to Berlin or the more infamously difficult to enter Bergheim. Have you ever been to uh, Berlin at all yet? No, I haven't. I really need no, to go. Obviously the, yeah, but, the techno um, scene over there is quite big, Bergheim and stuff like that. Do you reckon you'd get into a? Uh, do you reckon you get into Bergheim? Hundred percent. I'd have you to reckon? dress a bit dark and edgy. You reckon? <laughs> yeah, for those people that are listening that won't know what Bergheim is, Bergheim's a very industrial, uh, infamous techno club in Berlin, um, situated in like an old power station. Uh, for lots of people to try to get into. They have sort of like occasionally have like 24, 36 hour events. Um, it's got quite a strict door policy and there's like a lot of docu- well, documents and articles and other bits of, around it. And it's sort of like quite infamous in the music industry for being difficult to get into. And uh, Sarah Fry thinks that she's just going to walk straight in apparently so, which is, uh, which is a bold, bold statement. No, I don't. I don't. I'll just have to look a bit moody. And, um, you have to get be moody, no talking on. English. Um, yeah, get the DMs on, full black that. attire, something a little bit kooky and out there. Pretend I'm German and try and learn yeah. a bit of German before I go. <laughs> you have to try, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's some, to be honest, it's on my bucket list. Um, I was actually going to try and look at going next year, 2022, to Berlin because I haven't been before. And then that would definitely yeah. absolutely be on the bucket list. And if you can't get into there, you could always get into like Trays or, or like another one of the ones around, like sort of. Uh, I think it's like Kitty Cat Club as well is another one that's quite like a heavy industrial techno and stuff as well. So yeah, um, I've, yeah, I've heard so much about it. Um, I've had heard so many uh, crazy stories about Bergheim as well. Yeah, the <laughs> so different floors and the different myself. levels. Uh, yeah, and yeah, it is quite a, a weird and wonderful place as well. I must have had, I think the head bouncer is called Sven, isn't he? Guy that's got loads of face tattoos, massive piercings for his thing. Uh, he's quite infamous as well. So yeah, for people heard that about don't him, know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah for people that don't know about the uh the uh techno scene or uh maybe thinking like about like oh where you should go on your holidays in 2022 would recommend berlin would recommend trying to get into Bergheim if you are into it 
Um, I've got loads of friends that have tried actually, to be honest. And I've got I'd probably say, say I have 20 people that I know in my life that have tried to get into Burger and I think one person has out of all of them. So it's quite, uh, yeah, it's quite. Oh, really? What, well, even yeah. in a group? Yeah. Well, no, even like, no, they're sort of like, so when, when they get towards like, so say you're queuing up for like, for example, two and a half hours and at the back, like everyone's sort of milling around and you're in a group and whatever, because you're at the back of the queue and they're not going to see you. And as you get towards mm. the front I and mean, as you get towards the start of like where the entrance is, everyone just goes single file, like no talking, like just literally. So you don't know who they're with. And then it's just like, they're still not even getting in, to be honest. I don't know. Oh, obviously wow. I don't know what they've been dressed like, or I don't know what their vibe is, but yeah. I mean, you don't know how much of it is, um, how much of it is just like, um a myth it's definitely something on the bucket list to try try before you die isn't it definitely definitely i it's definitely on my bucket list as soon as i get the next flight out of here i think it's definitely the next place i'll be going talking about as we were talking about their nightclubs um and about events um before we were having this chat and before when we were setting up the interview uh you mentioned uh, a disparity on lineups and bookings in 2021 and wanted to discuss it and talk about it yeah um, yeah, yeah, yeah. First of all, what what what's your sort of perception on it? Uh, what's your uh, what are your sort of thoughts on the disparity? And what sort of ex- I'm not asking you to necessarily throw any labels or brands or events under the bus, but sort no, no, of no. the whole scene. Yeah. What are your thoughts on it? And then, what do you think? Why do you think promoters might not be putting in the effort to have more of a inclusive or have more of a diverse lineup? Um, I'm not sure. I think that a lot of you know. In the industry, there's a lot of people on a pedestal um, and, you know, everyone's kind of, if you're in that clique, then it makes it a lot easier for you to get on those lineups. It's it's who you know, I think, a lot of the time. And I think the disparity on the lineups that I've seen, uh, there's, I mean, there's just hardly any females and I'm going to be honest, I think it's a bit of a shame because I know a lot of artists um, who, well, females that actually feel the same as I do, as a lot of other female artists, that they they think that it's more male dominated. And I, I think it's all about equality, you know? I think it should be equal. But obviously, I'm not saying to get, to get any random um, artist on any random woman artist on, you know, they have to like really delve in and look and make the effort to look for these artists who have talent. Um, so that's fair enough. Um, but yeah, I, I have seen on most of the lineups. I mean, I see it daily. It's just all men and Hmm. it's a bit of a shame to be honest. Do you think think this is just in the house and techno scene or do you think that this is across all genres? House and techno scene, I think. Yeah. Predominantly. I think on a lot of festival lineups as well, where there might be more diverse music, still a problem. But yeah, it's, it's, I, I think I saw a lineup um, just before Halloween and it had about how many artists? Oh my God, it was packed full of artists. And there was only two females on there. So it must have been out of 80 DJs, there were only two female artists. And everyone was talking about it on the um, chat of the festival, Mm. and especially in person to me. And I just felt like really sad. I was like, that's really quite sad because it was based down in the Southwest, um, this particular festival. And there's a lot of, you know, female artists down there but like you say it's who you know and it's all quite cliquey there's still 
a gender problem in the music scene, I think. Now, at the time of recording, there was news about the lease company who owns Printworks planning to use the space for commercial properties and offices. The finalised date for this proposal hasn't been given yet, but it was in the news at the time of recording. Um, if we were to talk about venues in the UK, you're like obviously there's loads. There's, but unfortunately, there's been loads that have closed down during the last two years now, um, and there's been a couple that have opened up again. What are your like new ones that have opened up? Sorry. What's your favourite venue in the UK and like why? Oh, I just, I absolutely love uh, Printworks. Yeah. I, th- I think it's like how you feel when you walk in there. Um, just like it's massive and, you know, the energy. When, as soon as you walk in, you hear music, it's like you kind of get lost in there. So, yeah, I absolutely love Printworks. That's a big one. I mean, I'd how love to play there. How gutted are you that it's closing down? Hmm? How gutted are you that it's closing down? Um, absolutely gutted. Have I just broke that news to you? Did you not know? Yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, no. You're joking. Nah, they've sold it. I to, did um... see something on it, but I didn't yeah. think that they would do it. They've sold the, um, they've sold the um, land and they've sold the building and stuff to sh- retail shops and flats and stuff. That's terrible. Oh, I'm sorry to be the bear- <laughs> bad news. I feel really oh, bad Oh, it's raining and I feel, feel sad now. But yeah. Oh, no, okay, I'm sorry. Well, that was my favourite. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, I feel really bad now. Um, uh, well, there's E1, isn't there? <laughs> <don't feel> <laughs> podcast exclusive. Oh, like, make someone cry now on the podcast. That's not exactly what I want to do. Um, <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah. Imagine I mean, it. sorry, just for full clarification, the last articles and the last stuff that I saw about it online was that the like the lease had been sold for retail and for flats and stuff like that. So you might still have like two years, I think maybe to enjoy it, to get there to play, potentially. Oh, that's all right. Okay, so if you could just, yeah, two years' time. You've got two years as a time limit and a time frame to be able to play there, which would be sick. If not, come up north, warehouse project. Like you said there, you were there before. You were there literally last month when you said, or this month. Um, yeah. It's very similar. It's very similar scale, size, very similar. Like yeah. reputation um, to, to print work. So even if you don't get to play there, there's always other massive large-scale warehouse events that you can Yeah, uh, I absolutely love the warehouse vibe. It's uh, Yeah, it's good. It's uh, it's difficult. It's different. A lot of people I've spoken to actually do prefer playing in like smaller, grimier underground clubs with say like two hundred cap. Um, so, mm-hmm. but obviously you don't get the scale. It depends on the music that you're playing. It depends on sort of like the night and the lineup. Uh, so yeah. it's interesting that yeah, you sort of prefer the the bigger, large scale sort of like warehousey type ones. Really, yeah, I do. Uh, yeah. Do you ever think? Have you, without naming any names, uh, or you can name them and I'll bleep them out afterwards for legal reasons? Do you ever feel like any event that you've played at or any event that you've been at? have like not really got it right and sort of fucked up on why? Mm, Not got it right. I mean, there's a load. (laughs) I can't really say, to be honest. You Um, can if you want, and I'll bleep it out. Legally, I'll bleep it out. I'd say... Yeah? I I don't really... I don't don't know why. I just don't really rate the lineups. Um, Yeah. Like, is this from... So, who runs it and runs it and stuff like Mm. that? Or are we talking about like stuff that are like the residents yeah 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 yeah. that i mean i've heard a lot about how the residents re- the, the people who are residents um of this particular event he or she doesn't pay them um like a lot of money um right, okay and they're they're literally um kind of they can't go and play a lot of other places so they're kind of like just kind of stuck 
in right, that. So like contractually at the start, they were like, great, sick, we'll be residents for this place. We'll get like this opportunity. Mm. If it's a big brand, like we'll mm. get loads of things. They're not financially getting the money from their source. Yeah. And then contractually, yeah. like that happens at events. Yeah. It means that they can't, because some people won't be aware of this, they can't go play for other brands, they can't go play in other cities, they can't go play for other festivals because they're contractually yeah. obliged to do it under this certain brand. It's a bit like they're being controlled um, yeah. to stick in a particular, and but also it kind of limits them as well. So they're kind of stuck playing for this certain event. And they're also um, kind of jeopardising their name you know, because they've they've gone out and they've started as DJs, but now they've become artists, and they they kind of always have that name of that event that they were used to be a resident of. Whereas a lot of artists start or producers start by making music, and they have their own kind of image, and you know they don't have that backlog. Do you know mm. what I mean? Yeah. And is this, uh, is this something that you, I mean, we won't speak about the person or people or whatever. Mm. Is this something you know firsthand from speaking to them or is this sort of like whispers or stories within the industry? Word of mouth. Yeah. Um, I mean, him himself or her him, herself mm. has, you know, also, also I find the industry very, I mean, I try and stay out as much as I can. But, you know, like I find it so funny because one of their residents um, who was a female, she wanted to come away from that event. So she went and started making uh, minimal music. And basically, yeah, so basically uh, I think the event owner or the promoter resented her for it, obviously, because she left his event to go and better herself, which she mm. has. Um, and I remember having a chat with him or her and he he or she said, I think so-and-so stuck up and blah, blah, blah. Whereas it's only because it's, there's like elements of jealousy, you know, mm. um, and that certain person doesn't have the control over those residents anymore. Mm. Um, they're just trying to broaden their horizons. And yeah, I just think it's, um, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because you want to get involved with promoters who support you and not want to just take, 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 you know? Mm. It's it's like it should be like a family, but it, I don't know. I mean, I haven't been involved in it, but this is just word of mouth. And that's where I think that that certain event hasn't got it right. Um, and also you see like a lot of their residents um, actually dropping off. You don't see them on the lineup. So you, yeah. you do question oh, what's actually happened. Mm. Um, and obviously, because the scene's so small anyway, people do talk. Um, so, yeah. But anyway, I, I think that um, I think that there's um, a sound that's missing from London. Go on. What's, so, what do you think it is? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about setting up um, an event, but I'm not going to say too much. And it's not going to go under my name. It's going to be all very exclusive. And since saying on the podcast, I'm not going to say too much about it. But um, yeah, I think there's something missing in the scene in London. So okay. I've been really kind of brainstorming and thinking about what's needed. And yeah, I'm going to give it a go in the next year and a half. Yeah, nice. Even, nice, nice, so. nice. So putting on an event in London in the next 18 months, uh, is, yeah. it going to be in, is it going to be in Clapham near, near where you are? Or is nah. it you don't want to say? 
Um, I'm not too sure yet. I haven't really thought about, well, I thought about venues. Yeah. Um, but I'd like, I'd like that kind of warehouse vibe anyway. Like mm-hmm. I've just kind of said, um, that kind of getting lost in the music kind of vibe. Um, I do think there's a lot of the same music going on in London and I get, I get a bit bored of it. I'm like, I need, you know, it's just the same artist, same everything. And I'm like, there's actually like some really cool artists that I'd love to get on my event um, that probably yeah. people haven't really heard of. I won't price too much then, obviously, because you want to keep it under wraps and you yeah. don't want to uh, put something out into the ether. And then obviously, like we said, we don't know what the, the next year, year and a half could bring. So uh, I don't want yeah, to feel pressure or anything to fulfill with it where you think like, oh, fuck, I've said this or oh, fuck, yeah. I've said that. So I feel like the pressure under it, absolutely understandable. Um, yeah. But uh, that's probably a very good uh, time uh, to wrap up the podcast where you talked about what you want to plan for the future um, mm-hmm. and what you want to try and deliver in London because you think that there's something missing. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah absolutely thank you very much Sarah for uh, for jumping on the podcast uh, it's no been worries. interesting thank to hear about uh, your roots and roots in the industry uh, your thoughts obviously on what's going on within the industry and some cliques and some bits like that I will make sure to bleep out names and we'll make yeah. sure not to uh, to include people um, thanks yeah. for sticking through and thank you for jumping on the uh, like I said third time to charm with the uh, with the podcast recording so thanks very much for jumping on no and, worries uh, yeah it's been great to chat to you I've told you once I've told you twice you're not on the list alright alright